Amen. Amen. Let's look in Matthew chapter number 21. We're going to see uh, something that seems like an insignificant event, but we're going to learn a lot from it. Uh, it. It doesn't seem like when I first read these few verses, I'm thinking, well, what am I going to get out of that? And man, why did I say that? Because you, you can dig in God's word and find out it's just a deep, deep gold mine. Amen. Verse number one. Matthew 21. We stopped last week. We finished chapter 20. So let's go right into 21 today. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphage under the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus to disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, Ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye, the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass. And the disciple went and did as Jesus commanded them. And brought the ass in the colt and put on them their clothes and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the from the trees. We know from the other gospels these were palms and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? Who is this? It's a great question. And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Dear heavenly father, Lord, we are so grateful to be in your house. We're so thankful for an opportunity to study your word, to learn, to grow, to develop, Lord, to be better disciples this week than we were last. I pray that you'll bless everybody that's under the sound of my voice. I pray that you'll open their their mind, open their ears to understand and comprehend your word. Lord, we know this is God's holy word. This is not the Wall Street Journal. This is not the Coleman Tribune. Uh, This is your word, and it is spiritually discerned. And we need the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds and help us to understand your word. God, I am in desperate need of your touch, Lord. I pray that you'll help me. Don't let me say anything I shouldn't, and don't let me forget anything I should. And God, we'll, we'll, we will give you all the glory, all the praise, all the honor. All, you, are, you are worthy of it all. And God will thank you for it. In Jesus' name we all pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated there at Fairview. We find Jesus coming into the last week of his ministry here on earth before his crucifixion. Uh, He has left Jericho. We were in Jericho last week and, and, and he has left Jericho ascending up to Jerusalem. He has spent a little time in Bethany with his good, good friends, Mary, Martha and Lazarus. It hadn't been long. uh, It hadn't been long that he had raised Lazarus from the dead. And there were a lot of people that were coming to Bethany because they wanted to see the guy that was dead, was in the grave four days, and now he's walking around. 
And so they were intrigued by that. They saw and they heard about this miracle. So there's a, there's a crowd there in Bethany. Uh, we got to understand that this is Passover season and people come from all over the world to Israel, to Jerusalem specifically, the city of Jerusalem, to worship at the temple at Passover. It is estimated that they were probably, uh, uh, probably two million people here in Jerusalem at this time. Now, you got to understand, the city wasn't that big, so it was packed. There was tons of people. So is everybody with me? Say amen. And now we see the coronation of the king. The title of your lesson, the title of uh, this message today is the coronation of the king. If you've been following us from the very beginning of this study, we know that Matthew is the gospel that describes the Lord Jesus as the king. One describes as the servant, one the son of man, the son of God and John. But Matthew wants you to see Jesus as the king and rightly so, because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. He is our king. He is Israel's king. He is Israel's promised king. He is Israel's promised king. You got to get that. You got to see that God promised them a long time ago that he would send a king. Another one in the, in the lineage of David, he prophesied a Messiah would come. And this is what you got to see. Jesus is presenting himself in a very public way that he's the king. So they, they would, if you, I, I went and I looked in the Old Testament and I seen at uh, times, if you will go, this is just, if you want to do this, just for uh, background work, you can go read uh, where, where John, or Solomon, Solomon was, uh, he was presented king. David said he would be the next in line and put him on his own mule and rode him around so it would represent to the people this was the new king. And, and so this is what reminded me of this. Here Jesus is on this colt and he is riding into Jerusalem. Uh, some people have called this the triumphal entry. And so that's what we're going to look at today. You say, well, preacher, what in the world can you take from this? Oh, wait till you see. Amen. So let's just go down these verses. Let's just go down these verses and study them as we come. And the first thing we see in, in, in my estimation, what we see is the prophecy. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Number one, I want you to see the prophecy. We see Jesus. How many of y'all know Jesus doesn't do anything by accident? Everything Jesus does is calculated. Everything Jesus does is planned. Everything Jesus does has a purpose behind it. So this was not, he, he was not all of a sudden real tired and didn't feel like walking anymore. Are y'all with me? Say amen. There's, there's a prophecy behind this. Look what it says. This whole idea of riding into Jerusalem on this colt was planned. Look what it says in verse number four. Verse number four. If you're there, say amen. All this was done. What? This whole deal about this coat and Jesus riding in. That it might be, what's that word? Fulfilled. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass and a colt, the foal of an ass. Now, here's two things I want you to write down underneath the prophecy. The prophecy. First, I want you to see the recipient. The recipient of the prophecy. Who is the prophecy to? It says, tell the daughters of Zion. That means the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. 
tell them. They need to understand this is to them. This is for them. Now, why is that important? Why is that important? The Bible says, the Bible says uh, that Jesus came unto his own and his own received him not. They didn't recognize him. They rejected him. Now, here's a problem. They should have known. They should have known. As soon as they saw him coming, as soon as they saw him on this coat, as soon as they saw the procession, they should have said, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, Zechariah 9-9, right there. Are y'all with me? And that is the prophecy that is given, Zechariah 9-9. Tell it to the nation of Israel. This is for the nation of Israel. Okay, so then secondly, I want you to write this down. Not only the recipient of this prophecy, but look at the reality. The reality of this prophecy. What is God trying to show the nation of Israel? What is God trying to show the inhabitants of Jerusalem? He said, tell the daughters of Zion. What's the next phrase? Behold. What what does it mean to behold? Hey, look. In other words, in Alabama, we say, hey, y'all, watch this. That's like the redneck's last words. Amen. That usually gets you in trouble. But the word behold, that's what God is saying. Hey, look up, pay attention, look here, this is a big deal. You don't need to miss this. Behold, thy thy king cometh. When they saw him, the prophecy in Zechariah 9.9, they should have said, that's him. That's him. No doubt about it, that's him. Jesus did this to fulfill Prophecy. I was gonna. I was gonna list all the prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus from the Old Testament, but we'd have been here till November. <clears throat> but do you know what? He fulfilled every single one of them. Every single one of them, including this one, to the T. To the T. Not only. I'm gonna just throw this in. I'm gonna just throw this in. Uh, Brother Montgomery, not only riding in on this colt fulfilled it. To a T, he fulfilled Zechariah 9, 9 to a T. But he also fulfilled uh, Daniel chapter 9 on the exact day that Jesus did it. Daniel prophesied it would be that day. So if they would have known their word, they'd have known that this is the exact day. If they would have known, if they would have paid attention, if they would have just realized, behold, Your king cometh. This is him. This is him. Now, let me just throw this in here. I'm not going to charge you for this one. Let me just throw this in here. This is what happens when you get so caught up with tradition that you let it override the word. You see, the the, the religion of the Jews had become so powerful. All their man-made rules, all their man-made traditions, all of the things they added to it, it overtook the true word of God that they knew the tradition, but they didn't know the word. We see the prophecy, number one. Number two, number two, not only do we see the prophecy, but number two, we see the presentation. The presentation. Now, what are we doing here? What what are we doing here? We're coronating the king. Now, I don't know if you've ever saw uh, some some kingly stuff. 
But I remember one of the first, one of the first uh, experiences I had with royalty, and it was on the TV, by the way, <clears throat> was, was uh, uh, Princess Diana and Prince Charles' wedding. I was a little old bitty fella, and, but it was a big deal. I mean, it was not it was not just a big deal in, in, in England. It was a big deal in America. I mean, it was an, on all the and I was sitting there with my granny because she had a TV. We were too spiritual to have one. So we went down and watched hers. <laughs> Amen. We didn't believe in having a TV. So we watched the Deuce of Hazard on hers on Friday night. Amen. <laughs> but we had to leave before Dallas came on because that was sinful. Amen. <laughs> I'm not saying this in the next service. Dad will be in there, amen. <laughs> and I hope to God he ain't watching now, hey. <laughs> Dallas was sinful, but Daisy, oh, anyway, <laughs> anyway. I don't know how we got it. Somebody help me, amen. Preach, Preach yeah. But I, re- I, remember, I remember seeing all the pomp and circumstance, all of the, really the money that was spent and all of the extravagance that was in this wedding. And you know, when they, when they coronated a king, they would show all the riches of the kingdom and all the wealth of the kingdom. Man, I, I, I was reading and studying behind this and, and seeing where uh, uh, some of the queens that were uh, coronated and, 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 and what they were given and the size diamonds that was in, the, in their crowns and all unbelievable extravagance. Are y'all with me? But what do we see? He says in the prophecy, he's going to come lowly. Lowly. Zechariah 9, 9, lowly. And, and here in Matthew, it says meek. We see, we see the approach. The approach, if you're writing things down. How was this coronation presented? How did the people see it? We see the approach was meek. He did not come in wealth, but in poverty. He did not come in grandeur, but in meekness. He did not come to slay Israel's enemies, but to be the sacrifice to save mankind. You see, you got to understand this was not the time of this was not the time of his glorification. This was the time of his humiliation. He was coronated just like he arrived. With nowhere to lay his head was born in a stable. Was born in a cattle trough, if you will. Are you all with me? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery with God, but made himself of no reputation. Took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. You see, this king is the only true king, but he didn't come as man's view of a king. He came meek and lowly. Are y'all with me? Say amen. We see this presentation he, he came lowly, he came meek, he came in humility. But then this is, a, this is an intriguing deal. Not only do we see the approach, but we see the animal. The animal, write that down. What is significant about the animal? Now, I don't, I don't know, I don't know about y'all, 
But I've never seen a king riding on a donkey. I mean, I've never even seen a good Western hero except Festus. Are y'all with me? And nobody would call Festus royal. How would you imagine a king coming in to be court? Wouldn't it be on a, a stallion? A powerful, a powerful, I was going to say quarter horse, but if Brother Doug was here, he'd say, no, we believe in whole horses. Amen. He's a Tennessee walking horse, man. But a, but a stud horse. I mean, a white one that's beautiful and flowing mane. Say amen. Not no donkey. Are y'all with me? But guess what? You know what we learned about this donkey? He's a beast of burden. A donkey is a beast of burden. In other words, he's not there for beauty. He's not there for show. Man, I'm feeling God bumps on my neck a hog could bite right now. He's not there for everybody to look and admire his looks. He's there to carry a heavy burden. And this king, woo, this king is coming in not to be admired and not to be looked at for his beauty, but he's coming in as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. He's coming in bearing the sin of all mankind to die and pay for our sin. Listen, the Bible says, look in your notes, the Bible says, Isaiah 53, 4. Surely he has borne, that means carried our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we, had, we did have seen him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. In other words, we looked at him, mankind looked at him as punished by God. When he was carrying our sin. He was carrying our lies and our cheating and our, all the sins of mankind. But look what it says. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Oh, and you see this. You see the donkey is appropriate. This is right. This is the way it should be. It is not as man sees it. It is not as man would want it to be. But oh, God is saying, Jesus is coming in to bear your sin. And all God's people saying, amen. 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 We see the presentation, not only the prophecy, the presentation, but look at the procession. <clears throat> look at the procession. These two disciples... These two disciples, they, they go to the next village there and they find everything just like Jesus said it would. That's where we see Jesus' omniscience there. He knows everything. And, and they, go to untie, they go to untie these animals and the owners are there. We, we put all the four gospels together. And the owners say, hey, hey, what you doing? Kind of probably what we would do, amen. If somebody comes and gets in your truck in the parking lot and goes to leave, what would you do? All right. And they say, hey, 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 what's going on? And they say, the Lord has need of these. They said, okay. Wouldn't that be great? I pull up to the boat shop. Hey, where are you going with that boat? The Lord needs it. I don't think it's going to work though, amen. 
But this must have been one of his disciples or, or maybe it was just God impressed upon his heart at that point. They said, hey, do what you got to do. And they come and they put their coats. They, and the Bible says they put their coats on both of them. They don't know which one he's going to ride. If they had just read Zechariah 9.9, they would have known. It would have been the coat. Amen. But they put these, these coats on him and they start descending from the Mount of Olives. I was going to put the picture up here and I forgot. But if you go to Israel with me, I show you. You can, you can stand right there where it happens. And they begin to descend from the Mount of Olives. And they get toward the, they get toward the, the bottom. And they begin to uh, spontaneously begin to praise and begin to worship. And, and this is what I want you to see. This is what I want you to see. Three things. Three things in this procession. First, I want you to see the crowd. I want you to see the crowd. Who is, who's out here doing this? Well, first you have, first you have, and I got the verses there, but I'm trying to hurry. First, you have the crowd that came from Galilee. In other words, the ones that was with Jesus, the ones that had been traveling with Jesus, right? Then you have the crowd that came to Bethany. Bethany, this is where Jesus was staying toward the, the top of the Mount of Olives there in Bethany. And, and they came because they wanted to see not only the man that came back from the dead, but the man that brought him back from the dead. They wanted to see more miracles. They heard about this. Man, I got to go see this. So there is a major crowd that has come to Bethany to check. And by the way, by the way, uh, that wasn't an accident either. Do you realize that the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead was the kicker that got them to decide to kill Jesus? Because they said, if he can do this, the whole world is going to go after him. And not only did they decide to kill Jesus, they decided to kill Lazarus too, because he was proof of who Jesus was. How crooked was the religious crowd in that day? So you have this crowd that came from Galilee. You had this crowd who came to Bethany. And as they get to the descent there in the, in the Kidron, the Kidron Valley, they're going up the side toward the eastern gate. People start porting. Now remember, how many did I say was in Jerusalem at that time? Two million. Two million. Uh, uh, Brother Willie, uh, are, are the gates kind of narrow? So it's going to be what? Crowded. Well, they hear, they hear that the one who raised the dead is on his way. So they start pouring out of Jerusalem, coming through the eastern gates. And they start tearing off palms and they begin to cry out. So we have a crowd behind him. We have a crowd with him and a crowd in. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to say there's a crowd. This wasn't just a handful of people. Matter of fact, it was so significant. It was so huge. The Bible says it stirred up the whole city. In other words, this was a big deal. A big deal. So we see the crowd. Then, then B, write this down. Not only do we see the crowd, but we see the conduct. The conduct. What are they doing? What are they doing? They're cutting off palms. They're cutting off palms and they're waving palm branches and they're laying palm branches in the road as they walk by. They're taking off a coat. It's called a tallit. And I'll explain that. Let me give you some detail about that. This is some interesting material I found. 
Just, just look at me. This is not in your notes. Just look at me and listen. First of all, <clears throat> first of all, palm branches were often used in the celebration of victory. Say that with me. Celebration of victory. So this is, this is a, tri- that's where you get the triumphal entry. The palms represent victory. In other words, when a, when an army would come back home and they had, they had won the battle, they would come back and, and the people would welcome them home with palms and waving palms in their arrival. If that makes sense, say amen. So the palms celebrated victory. And in King David's time, they were used to honor royalty. This fact of the history of palm branches makes a perfect connection to the true identity of Jesus as the King of Kings. Not only that, not only that, but palm branches also represent Jesus being worthy as high priest. You see, Jesus is not only the King of Kings, he is our high priest in heaven. This interceding on our behalf. Are y'all with me? Watch this, this is interesting. This represents Jesus as a high priest. A palm tree takes 30 years to bear fruit and a man could not become a high priest until he was how old? 30 years old. The ministry of Jesus began when he was how old? 30 years old. Palm branches point to Jesus being king and high priest. Say that with me. The palm branches point to Jesus being and But there's something else they did. It was pretty intriguing. The people's garments. Now, when I was growing up and I read this, I'm thinking, man, they're, they're taking off their shorts and their, and, 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 their, and their jackets and their shirts and they're just throwing it. But it, it, was, it wasn't that. It wasn't that. What was it? What were they throwing down? The word garment. The word garment is given here. <clears throat> and we see uh, it can be translated coat or cloak. But what was it? What were they putting down in the streets? This was more of an act of honor. This was an acknowledgement and a declaration that Jesus was the King of Kings, the promised Messiah. The word garment here is the word talit. Say that with me. Talit, which is a prayer shawl. How many of y'all seen those prayer shawls uh, that where they would put them around them and they would pray and they would pray at the wailing wall? Listen, this prayer shawl, it was a seamless garment with four corners with a tassel attached to each of the four corners to remind the Jewish people of all the commands of God. Now watch this. This is so good. On the collar, on the collar, the Hebrew letters spell Lord of Lords and King of Kings. You you hear that? On the collar of the tallit, it is spelled Lord of Lords, King of Kings. As a symbolic reminder of the promised Messiah, by laying their tallits down in the road as Jesus come by, the people were acknowledging Jesus as God's promised Messiah. They were declaring that Jesus was the one worthy to be called (coughs) the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Whether it was the palm branches or the tallits, it all pointed to Jesus being the Messiah, the high priest, the king. Somebody say amen. Amen. This is getting bigger and bigger, isn't it? These people, not only, listen, not only do we see the crowd, we see the conduct there. They're waving palm branches. I mean, this is causing a humongous commotion. They They are shouting and they're praising. Now, number see, write this down. We see their cry. 
Not only do we see the crowd, we see the conduct, we see their cry. Hosanna! Hosanna to the king! Hosanna in the highest! Hosanna in the heavens! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! You see, their cry is very significant too. We, 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 we get that from Psalms. Psalms 118. And the word Hosanna means, and I got it in your notes so you don't have to look it up. It's right there. The word Hosanna means save now. Say that with me. Save now. Say it again. Save now. They were excited. You see, year after year, year after year, they had heard about a Messiah. They had heard from their grandfather and their great-grandfather and their great-great-great-grandfather that God would not leave them without hope and God would not leave them without a promise that God would send a deliverer. God would send a Messiah. God would send a promised king. Are y'all with me? Now, all of a sudden, a dude shows up and he's healing everybody. He's walking on water. He's turning water into wine. He's taking one lad's lunch and has the biggest fish buffet that's ever been known. He's telling the storms, peace, be still. He's casting demons out of demon-possessed people. He's doing things that nobody else has ever done. He's talking like nobody else has ever talked. There's nobody like him. He's even raising the dead. This has got to be him. Now watch. Everything sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Well, this is great. They're even acknowledging this is him by their actions, by their behavior, by the prophecy that's being fulfilled. This looks like this is going to happen. They're going to finally accept and welcome their king. But you see, there was something wrong. There was something wrong. This save now means get Rome off our backs. You see, they were not looking for a savior for their sin. They were looking for a conqueror to get Rome off of their back. That save now was not save our souls, save us from our sin. That save now means, hey, get Rome out of Jerusalem. Let's set our kingdom back the way it was. In other words, Brother Montgomery, they were looking for the outside, not the inside. They were not looking for a humble Messiah. They were sure not looking for somebody who would give up and surrender to the Romans and allow himself to be beaten and crucified. This can't be him. There's no way that our Messiah would allow himself to be arrested, allow himself to be scourged, allow himself to be spit upon, allow himself to be crucified. 
And by the way, if you want to fast forward a little bit, some of the same crowd that's crying Hosanna, who's waving palm branches, who is saying glory in the highest. Then in just a few days, they're crying, crucify him, crucify him. What happened? They were looking for a Messiah. But Jesus wasn't the Messiah they were looking for. Lastly, and this is going to draw it all to a point. Let's, let's do a review. Number one, we see the, the prophecy. The prophecy. Number two, we see the, we see the procession. Then number three, present, what did I say? Presentation. Number three, we find the procession. Number four, we find the pain. I want you to see what takes place. You have to go to Luke. You have to go to Luke to find it. It's not recorded in Matthew. But everybody, just write that down because ain't nothing else to write. Don't be flipping papers. Look back at me. Look at me, everybody. Look at me. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Jesus is coming down. Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives. He's toward the, the descent, the bottom of the Kidron Valley. And, and you got to understand, you got to understand the whole Temple Mount is way higher now than it was in Jesus' day. The whole place has been destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt like 17 different times. So there's level after level after level after level after level. So it's way higher. So imagine it being way lower. Even at the descent, you could almost see the whole city. Y'all with me? And when Jesus gets down in the midst of all... Now think about this. This is incredible. In the midst of all of their praise. In in the midst of all of their worship. And the excitement of the people. He's finally here. The Messiah is finally here. And, and what they were saying by that, we're finally going to get Rome off our back. We're going to finally get our kingdom back. We're going to get our country back. Jesus sees the city. He beholds the city. And look what happens. Look in your notes. Luke 19. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Now this is, guys, this is not a, if you look up that word wept, the Greek word here literally means to sob, to wail, as if you were at a funeral. How many of y'all have heard the terminology weeping and wailing? This is what Jesus is doing. I mean, they're shouting, they're praising, they're smiling, they're excited, they're rejoicing. And Jesus is looking at the city. He's looking at the city of God, the apple of God's eye, and he begins to sob. He begins to wail and sob. And look what happens. He said, if thou hast known, even thou at least in this, this, thy what? This, thy day. He said, this day, you should know what this day is. 
Daniel prophesied and predicted this very day. If you'd have just known the things which belong unto thy peace. But now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come unto thee. That thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee. That's the Romans. And compass thee round and keep thee in on every side. And shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. In 70 AD, just as Jesus predicted, the Romans came in and destroyed the temple, the city, and killed 1.1 million in the siege of Jerusalem. Men, women, elderly, and children. They did not discriminate. The historian Joseph described the scene. As the legions charged in, neither persuasion nor threat could check their impetuosity. Passion alone was in command. In other words, they were crazed. They had, they had just gone in a zone. Crowded together around the entrances, many were trampled by their friends. Many fell among the still hot and smoking ruins of the colonnades and died as miserably as they defeated. As they neared the sanctuary, they pretended not even to hear Caesar's commands and urged the men in front to throw in more firebrands. The partisans were no longer in a position to help. Everywhere was slaughter and flight. Most of the victims were peaceful citizens, weak and unarmed, butchered wherever they were caught. Round the altar, the heaps of corpses grew higher and higher, while down the sanctuary steps poured a river of blood, and the bodies of those killed at the top slithered to the bottom. Jesus sees all that, and he knows all that. Here he is in the moment of coronation, weeping because of their unbelief. He came unto his own, and his own. Look at me, everybody. Look at me, everybody. <clears throat> How do we apply this? How'd they miss him? How'd they miss him? They were looking for the Messiah on the stallion. Not the humble sacrifice. They were looking for a deliverer, physically speaking. But Jesus came to deliver them from their sin. And by the way, he's coming again. In Revelation chapter 19, we find the recording of his second return. And ladies and gentlemen, it ain't a donkey this time. Whew, I'm feeling them again. He's coming on a white horse. You know why? 
But he's because he's not coming to die. He's coming to defeat. He's not coming to serve. He's coming to reign. And the problem with Israel is they were looking for that one the first time. Now, how do we apply this? I wonder how many times Jesus has shown up to help us. And we didn't recognize because we were looking for a different Jesus. How many times has God shown up in our life? And we think God didn't care and God misses, but God showed up to fix it, but it didn't look like what you were looking for. It's kind of like the man in the flood. The flood waters were rising. The man gets up on the roof of his house and a big four wheel drive comes by and says, come on, man. And he said, nope, I'm trusting God will deliver me. So he leaves. Next, the waters are rising. Here comes a boat. He said, hey, man, come on. He said, nope, I'm trusting God will deliver me. Next comes a helicopter. The water's already to the top of the roof. He said, come on. Nope, I'm trusting God will deliver me. He drowns. He gets to heaven. And he's standing before God. And he said, God, what happened? You let me down. I thought you was going to deliver me. He said, son, I sent you a truck, a boat, and a helicopter. How many times has God showed up, but it wasn't what we were looking for? A difficulty takes place, a hardship takes place, a problem arises, and we think it's the devil when it could be God. You see, Jesus didn't come on a stallion waving a sword. He came on a donkey surrendering his life because he came to carry the burden of our sin. And by the way, he carried it all the way to Calvary. How many of y'all are glad? Can we give God praise and glory?